These things don't come along very often, do they? In this chapter, we read about the first African Christian. He's an Ethiopian. If you don't know what a eunuch is, children, ask your parents later. (laughs) And this is an encounter. The, The Ethiopian man has an encounter with someone who changed his life forever. And here, I think, in this passage, we see three elements of a life-changing, transforming spiritual encounter. There's a meeting, there's a message, and there's movement. Three M's. There's a meeting, there's a message, and there's movement. Firstly, there's an unlikely meeting. We read there in verses 26, 29, that uh, an angel of the Lord sends Philip, go south, go, you've heard of Jerusalem, you've heard of the Gaza Strip, This is a real story in a real location in real history. Go south to that road. So he goes off. He's sent. He doesn't really know why he's going. And then when he gets near this man, the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip internally, I guess, and says, go to that chariot and stay near it. He's going near a chariot. Now, if if you've seen any um, films like Gladiator or Ben-Hur or any, any films about ancient Rome, you probably imagine someone on a chariot, you know, racing along, with one person on it, and here we've got this guy reading a book at the same time. You know, he's like this. <laughs> Actually, a chariot is a bit like a Bentley. Now, this is very, very prestigious. He's got a driver. He's got a chauffeur, okay? And he's sitting there reading, and he's probably got a retinue, a lot of people. This is a VIP. And here he is. Philip has been sent, and we don't really know exactly, but God was definitely in it. And just think with me for, about the apparent coincidences of this story. This Ethiopian is an important, wealthy man. He is the finance minister for the Queen's treasury of one of the richest nations in Africa. We might say he is the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Yet he devoutly worships the God of Israel. So he's made a long journey to go to Jerusalem to worship. Now that means he's either an African Jew or he's a devout God-fearer a God-fearer who comes to worship but isn't fully a member of Israel. And he's made the journey to worship God. And he has his own copy of a scroll of of Isaiah. Now, this is an extremely expensive thing to own in those days. You can pick up a Bible for a few pounds. But to own a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, this is a very, very precious thing. And he's reading it aloud and trying to understand it and puzzling to himself. And yet, just at the right time, Philip arrives. He runs up to the chariot and he starts a conversation. And that's how it begins. What's going on? God is at work. He's the unseen hand behind the scenes. In 1965, my dad was training at a Methodist College in Leeds, and he was sent to preach at a little church in Huddersfield. In the week, he read in his private devotions from the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 1. And in this passage, Joshua 1, Moses dies. The oldest and most revered member of the community dies. And God speaks very clearly to Joshua and says, be strong and have good courage. Now, on this particular Sunday, my dad uh, caught the early train from, he's actually in Manchester, going to Huddersfield. And en route, he just had this niggle. He thought, I really should speak on Joshua chapter 1. It really impacted me when I read it, but he thought, I haven't got a sermon on that. I can't do it. I haven't got time. So he dismissed the idea, and he opened his Bible to read his passage for that day. And this time, he was in the New Testament. He's reading about Jesus, and when Jesus is transfigured, 
And who appears to be with Jesus at that moment? Moses and Elijah. So there's Moses again. And the thought came to him more strongly. Preach Joshua 1. And he thought, I can't do it. I haven't got enough time. So my dad arrived early in Huddersfield. He's always early for every appointment. And he was faced with the choice of a bacon butty or going to the bus stop and look up the time of the bus to the church. So he went to the bus stop and the timetable was in a glass case. And in, you know how they have the sheet of glass and then the, all the times of the bus are behind it. And scrawled across that glass with a thick black crayon in big letters was one word, Moses. <laughs> and at that moment, he thought, okay, Lord. He sat down at the bus stop and sketched out a few thoughts on Joshua chapter 1 along these lines. God speaks to Joshua after the death of the oldest member of the children of Israel. And then my dad, a young preacher, went to that church feeling quite nervous. He led the service. Halfway through, one of the stewards came down and leaned over and said, the oldest member of this church died in the night. Could you say a word about that? And he had a sermon on the death of the oldest member of the community ready, which said, be strong and have good courage. God was at work behind the scenes. Philip met the Ethiopian. It just so happened that their paths crossed in the desert. They only met for a short time, maybe even a few hours. They probably never saw each other again. But there was a meeting of minds. Behind it all was the living God, moving in love and grace towards this African man. Now, Christians believe in something called providence. You might have heard of this word, providence. There's a place in America, Providence, Rhode Island. It's a daring belief. We dare to believe that life is not governed by chance. It's not governed by fate. Life isn't governed by lady luck. Christians really have no reason to say good luck to each other. We believe that a good God provides. The Latin root of that word is providere, to see ahead. God sees what is ahead. God orchestrates events in our lives to work together for good. Jesus never tired of emphasizing the goodness of God expressed in the provision of sunshine and rain on both the evil and the good, the just and the unjust. God is good. He gives all the time. And this God is not far from any one of us. He's really near you. You just have to reach out. He was behind this meeting, this apparently random encounter of Philip and the Ethiopian. So let me ask, where is God meeting you in your life now? Where is he working? Are you attentive? Are you open to such a meeting? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. God wants to meet you, and he will send someone to you. If he comes knocking... Will you open the door? There's a meeting. Secondly, there's a message. I want you to notice that this encounter that's life-transforming is not based on an emotional experience. Okay? It's not based on an emotional experience. Some people are afraid that if they have to believe in God, they will be asked to switch their brain off. That is not the Christian faith. The Bible invites us to search, to explore, to query, to ask questions. In one place, God says... Come now, let us reason together. 
Christianity is about using your brain. It's about a message. It's about good news that has content. And so Philip doesn't invite this man into some kind of ecstatic experience. He doesn't say, close your eyes and just, you know, let go and let God. And nor is this simply emotional sharing. Philip doesn't tell warm stories about what God can do in your life and how you can make your life wonderful. No, Philip shares content. He shares a message, and it is a message from the Bible, and it is challenging. It's challenging. Can you still hear me? Yeah. True Christianity doesn't seek to bypass your intellect, but engage it. And in our text, this reasoning happens over an open Bible. Philip gets up into the chariot, and the man's got this scroll, Isaiah. And Isaiah had lived about seven centuries earlier. And chapter 53 of Isaiah talks about a mysterious figure who is a sufferer. He's suffering terribly. And he's called the suffering servant. And I'll read it from Isaiah 53 here. This is what it says. Surely he, the sufferer, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we, we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've, each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And the chapter ends with these words, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many. The Ethiopian is reading the very point in the whole Bible which talks about the gospel most clearly. And so he asks the question, tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Great question. And Philip is ready with an answer. The prophet is talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 35, he began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. How does Jesus fulfill that particular prophecy about a sufferer who's, got, who's killed like a sheep going to slaughter or lamb. How does Jesus fulfill that? Jesus' death is a sacrifice that takes away our sins. Jesus' death on the cross was not an accident, a tragedy, or even a heroic example. Jesus was a substitute for the guilty, a great swap was taking place. He took my place. He can take yours. Now, Jewish people understood the idea of a lamb being sacrificed as a substitute. It was part of their system. But Isaiah is not talking about an animal, is he? He's talking about a person. So it's a great puzzle. Who on earth could he be talking about? Philip knows the answer. Jesus Christ is the ultimate lamb. The innocent one who is slaughtered to take away the transgressions of others. So what that means is that Jesus Christ can forgive you no matter what you've done. 
He has the power and authority to forgive all your sins, to wipe the slate clean. And he will bring you into God's family as an adopted child. You know, we all love to hear good news. Good news about a new baby. Good news about a pay rise. Good news about a job offer. Good news about a a relationship, a clean bill of health. We all love good news. But this is the best news you will ever hear. It's news from God. It's that you are more wicked and sinful than you ever realized, but more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared imagine. You can be truly set free, absolutely forgiven, given a new life. And that's what we're celebrating here today with these young people who are being baptized, is a new life. Baptism is symbolic. It shows death brought back to life. The water symbolizes cleansing. And there's a picture in there of being laid down in death and brought up to new life, just as Jesus himself was. How can you have this? Simply by trust, by trusting Jesus Christ, what he has done for you, and turning your life around and following him. I wonder if you've ever taken the time to consider the claims of Jesus. Are you open-minded enough to do so? Let me invite you to do it today, this Easter season, to take this opportunity to open a Bible with someone and talk it through. Okay, there's a, there's a meeting, then there's a message, and, but all of that really could sort of stay there unless there was a third aspect, which is a movement. There is change, there is a movement that hasn't happened before, and it This movement actually requires change for both the Christian and the non-believing person, the the seeker. Notice how Philip has to move. In the first part of chapter 8, Philip was enjoying great success. Uh, He he was like the Billy Graham of the first century. He went on a pioneering mission to a new area called Samaria. And God used him really powerfully. In chapter 8, verse 6, it says that crowds of people were listening to him. And he spoke with great power. And in verse 8, it says, there was great joy in that city. See, Philip's on form. He's on fire. He thinks, you know, God's going to use him powerfully. And then God calls him away to a desert road to meet one person. How obscure. We might like to think that this Ethiopian became a really key player in the church in Africa. But actually, he's never heard of again. But what that means is that to God, one person is worth it. A great Victorian preacher, Scotsman called Alexander McLaren, comments on this. Divine intervention and human journeying and work were brought into play simply for the sake of one soul, which God's eye saw to be ripe for the gospel. God cares for the individual. And one sheep that can be reclaimed is precious enough in the, in the shepherd's estimate to move his hand to action and his heart to love. Not because the man was a great authority at court, but because he was yearning for light and ready to follow it when it shone, did the eunuch meet Philip on that quiet road. Philip had to leave an area of fruitful public work and go to the desert. Christians here, are you ready to read the Bible with one person? There are times we can invite friends to meetings like this one, 
And these can be very powerful times. But most people need more than just meetings. They need to open the Bible with one other person and ask questions and work through it. Can I ask you, Christian friends, will you pray that God will guide you to one Ethiopian? And I don't mean an actual Ethiopian. There's only one Ethiopian family in Chesington, and they already come to the church. Will you pray that God will guide you to one person? And if you're not sure you're a believer or you're, you know that you're, you're a curious seeker, you're maybe a skeptical, let me ask you just to think about this African man. He was a person of great status and wealth, a VIP. He had influence. Yet he demonstrated great humility. He had an open mind. He was open to new ideas, to have his mind changed, and then he was ready to commit what about you? This man actually asked to be baptized, and that was a public statement. Everybody saw it, all the people in his retinue. Everybody knew he has gone in. He's all in. And as you'll see in a minute, you do go all in with baptism. No turning back. And the result of it was great joy. So are you ready, friends, for a life-transforming encounter in which God could come down into your life and move all the furniture around. You'd have to be prepared to change. You'd have to be prepared to be, let God challenge you. But what might come as a result? In 1975, a satirical film was released called The Stepford Wives. It's been remade a few years ago, actually. In it, a group of men in a town of Stepford replaced their wives with robots. These robots were programmed never to argue with their husband. They were pretty. Every one of them was a great cook and did whatever the man desired and never disagreed. To some men, the idea of a Stepford wife might be appealing. Not me. <laughs> but you know, the reality would be absolutely empty and boring, wouldn't it? Because you can't have a real relationship with a robot. Now, without someone who can challenge you, push back, argue with you, come after you and change your mind, you cannot have a real relationship. You just have a mirror or a machine. And it's like this with God. For us to have a relationship with the real God, he has to be able to challenge us, even our most cherished beliefs. Only such a God can actually love us. Only such a God can actually forgive us. You cannot have a relationship with a Stepford God. He would just be a mirror. Is God speaking to you today? Are you open to a life-changing encounter? Then remember those three things. A meeting with another person who brings a message from the Bible. And then both of you are ready to move. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and for this special day of Easter when we remember Jesus rose from the dead and in these baptisms, we will see that pictured. Speak to us now, we pray, and encourage the young people's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.